over the last number of weeks we've been thinking about guidance. How do we know what God's will for our life is? And we've seen that God does not give us a map that charts out every detail of our journey. Instead, he has given us his word. And his word acts more like a compass that gives us directions in which to go. And one of the things that we, we saw right at the start of our series was Deuteronomy 29, 29. And it speaks about the secret things. Here's, here's everything God knows. And it speaks about or everything God knows. And it says the secret things belong to the Lord, but the things revealed. So this is everything. He's only revealed a small part of it. This uh, circle here. And he's revealed it to us and he says, to, to you and your children that you may do them. So what God has revealed is for us to do. That means there's an awful lot of stuff that he has not revealed. Nor has he promised to reveal it. But what he has given us in what he has revealed, 2 Timothy 3 tells us, is so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So God's word is sufficient for how we are to live. We saw last time that there are really only three categories of decision to make. Here's everything you could possibly do. We'll write the word all at the top. Out of all the things that you could possibly do, only some of them are right. Only some are right, some are wrong, some are sinful. So there's things that we're not to do. The Bible tells us that we're not to commit adultery, we're not to commit murder. It tells us what's wrong. But not everything that is right is wise. And so there are things that are not sinful, but they're not wise either. And so the three categories really of well, the three categories of decision that we're thinking about or that we're looking at making is right-wrong. Is it right or wrong? Is it wise or foolish? And if it's right and wise, then we've got freedom. Sometimes Christians talk about being in the center of God's will. That's not a biblical idea. Get rid of it. Because it causes fear and anxiety and it portrays a God who is not kind and generous. The center of God's will is, in many cases, a wide area where we have freedom. The image we, we came up with last time was like when you go to the beach to swim. And on the beach uh, there are the red and yellow flags and you're to swim inside the flags. Do not swim outside the flags. The lifeguards have said it is dangerous out there. We will patrol here. So that's the right wrong. We stay inside the flags. And so we ask ourselves, what are God's flags? Then even inside the flags, when you go to swim, you need to know what's wise and foolish for you. Because there are things that you might be able to do that somebody else is not able to do. And so somebody looks between the flags and says, it's okay to swim here. I will swim away out to sea. But they're actually only able to swim 
200 meters and that's all they've got. And, and, and then somebody else can swim a kilometer and they can swim much further. And so you've got to be wise inside the flags. And then as we saw last week, there are other decisions that you might make about swimming um, at the beach that are utterly inconsequential. What color of swimsuit will I wear? Well, you've got freedom. You've got freedom to decide. Will I swim backstroke or front crawl? Freedom. Will I paddle or will I swim? Freedom. Um, it's neither wise nor foolish on any of those counts. And so, as we think about God's guidance, we need to remember these categories. Right, wrong, wise, foolish, and freedom. Some areas of freedom are trivial. Like, what color of socks will I put on? We don't need to pray for guidance about that. But others are not trivial, but they still reflect that having sought to obey God and to be wise, that our gracious Father has left us with a range of choices. And therein lies His kindness. So guidance is not a tightrope on which we walk. It's staying within the flags and being wise. It's a compass and not a map. God has set up the flags for our guidance and He has given us principles for wisdom. And we now want to take two areas and try and work through those uh, to see how this applies. The first area is work. Uh, I remember when I was about 17 looking up uh, a book in the careers department at school uh, for jobs. And it asked some question about what you were interested in. And I looked the engineering section and I looked for the job that had the highest salary. <laughs> Slimberger Oil Company. Yeah, that looked great. The highest starting salary. But there were pages and pages of stuff on each company. How do we know what God wants us to do in the world of work? Well, one of the things that we need to remember, both in the world of work and in the world of marriage and in the world of just everyday Christian living, is God is far more concerned about who we are rather than what we do. As long as we are seeking to live in obedience and being wise, God is concerned more about our character and our progress in godliness. We live in a world that has the disnification of both marriage and jobs. In the disnification of marriage, there is the one. You've got to find the one. In the disnification of jobs, it's, you know... Uh, hi-ho, hi-ho, it's off to work we go and we're, we're, we're full of joy at the prospect. And people talk about job satisfaction. Well, there's been many jobs throughout history that people have just done and got on with it. And they did it because it was their father's job. And they are doing what their father did. And the prospect of job satisfaction or choosing a job wasn't open to them. Actually the same when it comes to marriage. Marriages for the most part of history have been arranged. And so we can see that in both of those, for the majority of people all over history, it's been the issue of who they were in their job or in their marriage that actually matters most. 
But let's look at work and let's think about how we make decisions. What are the, the matters of obedience? There are matters of obedience. The Bible has things to say. First of all, matters of obedience were commanded to work. It's part of the creation before the fall. It's part of God's good plan for us. It's a blessing. We're made in the image of the creating God. And he commands Adam and Eve to work. God said to them, he blessed them and said to them, Genesis 1, 28, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves on the ground. God set a pattern of work and rest. And we are made in his image. And even after Genesis 3, work is still a gift. It's harder, but it's still a gift. And what we read in 2 Thessalonians, did you hear the repeated command not to be lazy, not to be idle. Paul says, keep away from the brother who is walking in idleness. That's in verse 6. In verse 7, we were not idle when we were with you. Verse 8, with toil and labor we worked day and night. Verse 9, to give you an example to imitate. Verse 10, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Verse 12, that they are to do their work quietly and earn their living. We are commanded to work. That's one of the right-wrong issues, one of the matters of obedience. Now, that doesn't mean that it's always paid work. Raising a family is work, but it's not paid. Um, it may be that somebody has retired, and the command to work doesn't mean you can't retire, but are we to be Lazy and unproductive? No. We are to seek to be useful and productive. It's a call not to waste our lives. Maybe illness means that we can't work as much as we would like, but we're to seek to be productive and to contribute. Children, you are to work too, whether it's about the house, helping with housework or farm work. You're to study well at school or college. We're to develop our gifts. We're to serve the church. We can pray for people. That's working. We can ring people up and encourage them. That's being productive. We're not to give ourselves to binge-watching Netflix. We're not to give ourselves to doom-scrolling, scrolling away our lives on our phones. We're to be productive. So where's the, there's a command to work. Another matter of obedience or a matter of righteousness is it's to be righteous work. There are areas where a Christian, in which a Christian can't work. Let's say a Christian works for a pharmaceutical company and that pharmaceutical company in the department that that believer works starts to develop um, abortive drugs. A Christian would have to say, no, I can't do that anymore. Um, or neither could they be a doctor who performs abortions and says, well, I just have to do what the people say. That area is off limits. It's a matter of righteousness. Uh, and you, those are really obvious, but 
there are areas that are less obvious. Um, it may be that a Christian works for a company and the department that the Christian is working in is forever making use of dangerously run sweatshops in poor countries. Is that a right thing for a Christian to be involved in, in supporting and in sending work to? They may need to think seriously about that. Or maybe more pressing, um, is it there may be a job offered to you and the guy says, well, we'll not be doing any paperwork. You'll be uh, paid in cash and say nothing. Well, a matter of righteousness most likely going on there. Uh, and so we're to be, to, to be involved in righteous work, not deceitful work. And then, of course, we're to work righteously. The Scripture's a whole lot of commands about how we're to do our work. And what will not take time to mention those. That's maybe less about guidance. Um, but we are to work righteously. But then, so there's three, three areas so far, or the third one that we'll mention in a minute, matters of righteousness. The command to work. It must be righteous work. And then we're to remember rest. We're to remember rest. God has given the Sabbath day to rest and to remember Him, to feed our souls uh, so that we are growing and flourishing as Christians. And so, yes, there are works, there are jobs that have to be done out of necessity or mercy. Somebody's an ambulance driver, somebody's a doctor, somebody's a nurse, somebody's a farmer and the, the cows need milk. Those things are works of necessity and mercy. But a job that demands that you work seven days a week, that you have no time for God, or a job that says, well, you're just going to have to work on the Sabbath day, the Christian needs to say, well, no, God has set down the flags, and I'm going to stay inside the flags. So matters of righteousness. That still leaves a huge area. A huge amount of options. So we want to take the next question. And the next area and think matters of wisdom. Matters of wisdom. And there are a number of wisdom questions. We, we saw last time that, that we are to look at God's goals. We are to mind God's word. And we are to ask God's people. And we are to consider God's providence. Well, let me just tweak those slightly for this one. Ask yourself, and this will apply to, to lots of areas in life, will this help or hinder my walk with God? Will this help or hinder my walk with God? Will this job, will this role, will this thing that I'm about to give my time to, it doesn't need to be paid employment, it could be volunteering, it could be doing anything, Will this hinder or help my walk with God? It might bring in more money, but will it take up so much time that it will hinder my walk with God? It may take up so much time that it hinders my commitment to family responsibilities. It may take up so much time that I can't look after my children the way I ought to or my parents the way I should. Will it help or hinder my walk with God. What about its influence on me? We're all different. 
their jobs that one believer could do, that for another believer, by virtue of their temperament or by virtue of their temptation or by virtue of their age and experience, it wouldn't be wise for them to do. There could be a job that is in quite a hostile environment and a young Christian could be completely crushed by it. An older Christian may be able to cope with it quite well. There may be jobs or places uh, of employment where the environment is so full of uh, people who are opposed to Jesus Christ and His ways that it would be very difficult for a young Christian uh, to, to stand up against it. An older Christian uh, may find it easier. They may not. They may have a temperament that, that they, they might have to say, no, that's not for me. I couldn't do that. I'd cave. I would not be salt and light in that environment. I would start to mimic that environment. And so we need to know ourselves. Will this help or hinder me in my walk. Think about it. Uh, somebody's offered a promotion and it's going to take them. It's a great boost to their status. It's a great rise in the firm. It means more money and more influence. Well, those are dangerous things. They're not always dangerous, but they can be dangerous. We need to watch and we need to ask is this going to take me away? Is even the very temptation of status and power one that I am going to handle well? Or is it going to go to my head? Am I in danger of making an idol out of it? Will this help or hinder my walk with God? And a second question to ask is, how will this affect my serving Christ's kingdom? How will this affect my serving Christ's kingdom? Somebody has got a job offer. In fact, this happened this week. Somebody got a job offer that I know. And I got a message from them asking me, are there any churches in the area? Not just any churches. Are there any good churches in the area? They're already thinking, not, oh, this looks a good job with a good salary and good prospects. They're thinking, how am I going to connect into Christ's kingdom and Christ's church? Remember God's big goals, that we are to be knowing Him, becoming like Him, sharing Him, and serving His church. Is it a church I can go to? Not every church in an area you could feel you could go to. Their teaching might be teaching that you find you couldn't agree with. So we need to wonder. Is this a place where I can go and thrive as a Christian? Or is it going to mean that I'm going to be away from church, away at weekends, away from the midweek? And that becomes an issue of wisdom. And to say, I need to consider this. This is going to affect my connection to Christ's church, which is what God is doing in this world. And I'm going to be giving myself to something He's not doing to the same degree. Or it may mean that a Christian looks and says, well, yes, this is going to mean that I am so 
busy that I'm not going to be at the midweek. I'll still be at church on the Lord's Day, but this job is of significance. A Christian in a key place, it has huge responsibility. It's going to take a lot of time, but I've talked to my elders, and they said, we think it would be good for a Christian to be in a key position of influence in society, but we will put things in place for you so that you can be connected to the church. Do you see how what's right for one person may be wrong for another. What's wrong for one may be right for another. But let's look and consider how will this affect my connection to Christ's church? And then a third question to ask under the category of wisdom is, who has God made me? Who has God made me? Providence. We're looking at how God, where God would have me work. Who has God made me? He's made me with interests. He's made me with skills. He's made me with abilities. He's also put me in this place and time and this job is offered to me. Those are matters of wisdom. Matters of freedom. Having applied all of that, there may be many options left. Well, we have a kind Heavenly Father. Choose whichever one you prefer. That's okay. And leave the rest in God's hands. Or it may be that you're looking through the job ads uh, just to find, to find something. A job to have. And you've applied all the others and you're looking at three or four jobs and you've narrowed it down and I don't know, which one is it God wants me to have? Well, send off the five applications if it's right and wise and, and, you, and you have no strong preference, send it off and let God's providence decide. And if you're offered two of them and you still don't know, pray about it and pick whichever one you want. That's okay. God in his freedom has, has put two options in here or three or four because he's kind and generous. We don't need to agonize. Am I in the center of God's will? Work. Let's move on to the small topic of marriage. <laughs> I think we will come back. Uh, no, well, we'll take five minutes and we'll deal with the first part of this. This is an area where we need guidance. We will come back to the bigger chunk of this next time. But before we consider marriage, there is a preliminary question. Whether or not to marry. We shouldn't just assume that that's a commanded thing, that oh, every Christian must marry. There's no command. In fact, did you hear what we read in 1 Corinthians 7, how over and over again Paul says, um, it is good not to marry. He speaks of it as being a gift. He says, it is good for you to stay unmarried as I am. Our world has made an idol both out of work and out of marriage, out of relationship. And there is the high place in God's kingdom of not being married. Paul describes it as good and as a gift. Jesus, in Matthew, 
19, verse 10. Uh, he says something and his disciples respond, if this is the situation being a, between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. And Jesus doesn't contradict them. He says, well, not everybody could accept that. Some, for one reason or another, may find that that's the case. And the one who can accept it should accept it. He doesn't contradict them. Marriage is not the ultimate goal. Christ-likeness and serving Christ is. And there is an idolatry of marriage both inside the church as well as outside the church. But this is a wisdom issue. It's not a right-wrong issue. It's a genuine godly option. And we need to know that a person is not more righteous if they're married. In fact, they may find that they're less righteous than they thought they were as they find that two sinners under the one roof and knocking edges off each other is part of the Holy Spirit's design for showing us how flawed we actually are. Um, so uh, that's part of God's process of sanctification. But what are the wisdom factors? Did you see so many wisdom factors in 1 Corinthians 7? You've got to know your own temperament. Paul speaks of those who, he says, if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Know yourself. It's a wisdom issue. He speaks about present circumstances in verse 26. Uh, and he says, because of these present circumstances, something was going on in the first century world, or maybe in Corinth at that time. And he says, because of these present circumstances, it's better not to marry. He says in verse 28, that not marrying allows you to avoid unnecessary trouble. See that? But those who marry will face many troubles in this life. There's a multiplication of people that you care for. Uh, and that you have to provide for and that are dependent on you. And as is often said, a parent is only as happy as their saddest child. That's the way it is, isn't it? Paul says that part of this wisdom consideration is that not marrying gives you more time to serve. He says that in verses 29 to 31. He says that it gives a, a freedom from concern. Verse 32. Verse 35, he says that it allows us to have a focus on God's work. And that's the case. I'm reading a book, one of the books in Guidance. The two authors commented on this. Uh, one of them uh, says, you know, I, I looked at the other author, and he had this uh, wonderful family life, and it was lovely to see how his wife added so much to his life, and how his children added so much. And it was just wonderful to watch. The other guy, he looked at the, the single man. He said, we had agreed to write a chapter each and to bring it together to talk about. And I hadn't mine done because of family. And he had his ready and polished and finished. See, just that's the reality. And this is what we need to remember. These are all wisdom issues. There is a distinct advantage to being single. 
especially in doing Christ's work. There are distinct and different advantages to being married. And God has rules and places of work in his kingdom not suited to married people and vice versa. God calls some to give time and attention to work God's kingdom inside, to the work of God's kingdom inside their family. And he calls others to do it outside of family. And Paul calls it a gift. There's freedom. It's a wisdom issue. It may be that guidance is retrospective here for some. And they're saying, this is the way God has guided me. Okay, I now need to think, how does God want me to wisely live in this place that he has put me? And one of the big things in 1 Corinthians 7, you could put it this way, bloom where you are. Bloom where you are. We want our circumstances to be real. Lord, guide me and show me what to do. And God says, bloom where you are. And it may also not simply be a retrospective thing, a person looking at their circumstance saying, okay, right, this is where God has put me and I'm going to respond well to it. It may be that somebody's looking and saying, well, you know, I have no great interest in marriage. And I am going to choose proactively to give myself to serving in wider ways that a married person couldn't do. See, you don't need marriage to be a complete person. You don't need marriage to be a complete Christian. There is the Lord Jesus Christ. Most likely, well, Paul, Paul here is single. It may be that as a rabbi he had been married and that was part of the old things that he lost, wife and family, but he's saying here that he is no longer in that position if he once was. The commentator and great Bible scholar John Stott, that majestic missionary Helen Rosevere, Amy Carmichael, many, many others that we could name, used by God in great ways. Bloom where he has planted you. So, we'll go on next time to look at having thought about the wisdom issues that uh, work around uh, not being married. We'll think about the wisdom issues that work around being married uh, next time, but we'll leave it uh, there uh, for this evening. And then maybe next time as well, we'll look at the issue of Christian freedom as well. Let's uh, stand as we come to God in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for how you lead us and guide us. We thank you that you have not left us without your word, that you have shown us what's right and what's wrong, and you have given us great wisdom there, and you have given us a brain to figure it out. And we thank you that you want us to mine your word so that we grow in wisdom. And thank you that you have not pinpointed every detail of our lives, for then we would not grow in trust and our faith would be weak 
because we would never step into the unknown and we would be wrapped in bubble wrap spiritually and we would never grow in trust. We thank you that you love us too much to wrap us in bubble wrap and that you would have us live by faith and not by sight. Thank you that you have given us guidance so that we can see the way that we should go. And we thank you that you are there walking with us in it. Father, we pray that you'd help us in the decisions we have to make this week. Help us as we seek uh, to live for you in them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.